Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you ace your exams at school and university through the psychology of high performance and the science of studying smarter, not harder. It's my pleasure to introduce your host, the Cambridge-trained memory psychologist and exam success coach, William Wadsworth. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm going to start with a very quick story. Suppose you are a student in your first semester of college, sitting in a calculus class, waiting for the professor to hand back the first test. You're a little nervous because the test was difficult, but you know that you'd usually got good grades in high school math, and therefore you're confident that you were going to do okay on this new test at college. When the professor hands back your test, though, you are shocked to see that you got a D. You'll immediately start to interpret the results of this, trying to make sense of why it was that you did so poorly. The answer you come up with to that question is going to be a crucial determinant of what happens next. Maybe you conclude that you didn't study hard enough for the test, and you therefore view this setback as a wake-up call to study harder, or perhaps work in more effective ways. Or perhaps you interpret that D as a sign that you really aren't college material after all, a confirmation of your worst fears about your abilities, or lack thereof. You start skipping class and missing homework assignments. After all, why go through all that trouble when you clearly don't have what it takes to succeed? Now, research shows that most people have an optimistic outlook on life, believing that they have good prospects in the future and that they are masters of their own fates. This doesn't, of course, mean we're blind to reality, but putting a positive spin on events, such as, as I say, viewing one bad grade as an indication that we need to work harder – rather than as a sign that we should simply give up because we don't have what it takes. That kind of positive interpretation, uh, research shows, was going to serve us very well. In short, the way in which we interpret the events of the world is extremely important. Sometimes, as in that pessimistic interpretation of that uh, test result as indicating that we don't have what it takes to succeed in college. Sometimes those kind of interpretations are unhealthy and that can have negative consequences for our performance. We could solve a lot of problems if we could get people in general, and students in particular, to redirect their interpretations in healthier directions. Now, that passage is paraphrased from the introduction to my favourite book on mindset and motivation. It's called Redirect, Changing the Stories We Live By, by Professor Timothy Wilson. Long-time listeners will be familiar with the book and Professor Wilson because I featured Redirect in my rundown of the top smartest things I've read uh, back about 10 or so episodes prior to this one. I'm therefore truly delighted that Tim is going to be here with us later in this show to talk to you directly. I've been a huge admirer of him for a long time, and he's got some incredibly sensible things to say to us about how we can change the stories we live by, master our mindsets, and ultimately get better results in college and in life. Now, just before we meet Tim, I just want to give you a little bit of extra context to this idea of mindset. It's quite a funny area. Your mindset and beliefs about yourself and the world can have an enormous impact on the outcomes you get, not just in your studies, but in life generally. 
However, it's also an area that's an attracted enormous amount of pseudoscience. And one of the reasons I really enjoyed Redirect was its biting takedown of some of these uh, self-help ideas that really don't have any scientific evidence for them at all. Some of these approaches are just simply a waste of time. They won't help you, but they won't hurt you either. However, there are some approaches that some self-help authors write about that are more sinister, a bit like a medieval doctor that attaches leeches to an ill patient to draw out blood. Um, Some popular self-help ideas for improving your mindset may even be making a bad situation even worse. So, to help us cut through all the myths and the nonsense and get to the heart of what's going on, what's really going to help and what's really proven to be effective uh, based on the science, let's give a very warm welcome to Professor Timothy Wilson. I'm Tim Wilson. I'm a professor of psychology at the University of Virginia in the United States and uh, sheltering at home like most of us at this point. (laughs) And... You know, I um, I guess I describe the unifying uh, aspect of my research as self-knowledge. I've looked at many different aspects of how we come to know ourselves, what the limits of that are. And, um, and I've always been interested in applications of that to behavior change. So um, how does self-knowledge and the kinds of assumptions and stories we tell about ourselves impact our behavior and more importantly can you change those stories in in beneficial ways for anyone listening who's not not studied a huge amount of psychology yet just perhaps tell us a little bit more about what you mean by by self-knowledge what sort of things does that include well um yeah i guess i describe it as just i mean i like the analogy of of stories that we tell ourselves that just as novelists tell a story about a person in fiction, we develop stories about ourselves and who we are, why we do what we do. What is particularly interesting about that uh, is my early research showed that our introspective abilities are somewhat limited in the sense that we don't have a direct pipeline into who we are. It's not like we can just uh, open a door and say, oh, this is exactly who I am and why I do what we do that we often make, tell stories about ourselves just like we do about other people. We, we observe our behavior. Um, and obviously, we do have access to a lot about ourselves, our emotions, our feelings, our reactions to situations and to people. But we have to weave all that together in a coherent story as to who we are and what our goals are how uh, if we suffer a setback, what that means for us, um, how we move forward. And these kinds of stories or narratives um, are really crucial to our well-being. And there's lots to be done still to understand where they come from, how to change them, how conscious they are. I don't mean to imply that we sit down and, you know, ponder ourselves like Rodin's statue of the thinker all the time. I, I think a lot of this are very quick assumptions we make on the fly that even we may not be fully aware of. <laughs> We've maybe had a bit more time for introspection uh, recently than, than yes. normal, but uh, but even then, uh, still still a lot of mystery uh, looking inwards. I guess. What sort of thing? What sort of messages? What sort of lessons uh, does does your research have for students trying to get the best possible uh, outcomes for themselves uh, through through school and university? Well, I think we can make a rough distinction between 
the opportunities and the setting we're in, so um, the quality of our teachers, the, the kinds of courses available to us, how big our classes, you know, all these sort of objective things which, which surely matter. But as a social psychologist, um, we are also interested in something else, namely what's inside our heads and what we make of all that and the kind of mindsets that we approach a situation with. Now, I, you know, I always like to say that by focusing on mindsets, I don't mean at all to minimize the impact of the environment we're in. That uh, obviously there are lots of educational improvements we can uh, work toward in terms of the quality of instruction. Um, I mean, in this day and age of teaching online, for example, and how to make that as, uh, do it the best we can. Within the environment in which we find ourselves, the narrative or mindset we, we, we have that we tell ourselves is, is crucial. I mean, I'll, I'll give one personal example that I bet many students have, have had a similar experience. When I was a, a freshman in college, I was taking a biology course. It came time for the first test. And I studied a little bit for it, um, as, but I, I kind of approached it the way I did tests in high school. I thought I was prepared. And to my shock, I failed the test. I, I got the grade back and I just couldn't believe I had never failed a test before. I think what was crucial is what story I told myself about that. Mm. I, I could have said, well, I guess I'm not college material. I, I guess uh, I can't make it here. I should do something else. I should drop out. I just, why try if I just don't have the ability? Mm-hmm. Or fortunately, um, the story I did tell myself is, wow, this is a wake-up call. I really need to try a different approach. And I studied as hard as I could for the rest of the course and ended up doing quite well on the, on the rest of the test. But, but only because of my story that I, I had a narrative that, you know, don't give up yet, try something else. And fortunately, that worked for me. Yeah, I mean, that, that really resonated. I mean, something, um, I ended up going to Cambridge University to study natural sciences. Um, something I, I, I don't talk about much <laughs> is the fact that I tried to study physics in my first year. I tried to take a physics module, found it incredibly, incredibly difficult. You know, I can definitely relate to uh, the other side of telling yourself a, uh, a story and ending up sort of telling yourself a, uh, a story that, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you know, I'm not capable of this subject, you know, therefore you get stressed about it, you put forth less effort and you end up, uh, you know, in a sort of negative spiral. I kind of see that pattern echoed in, in some of the students I, I work with and, and coach today. Um, if you're feeling yourself starting to get sucked into that cycle of, you know, I can't do it, I, you know, this isn't for me, what are the sorts of ways we can try and pull ourselves out of that? How how can we, I know you use the term story editing, how can we kind of change that story we tell ourselves? Well, there's a variety of approaches that have been used. You know, many of them are instigated by third parties. So I think, you know, as, as a professor or as a school administrator, uh, we need to be very attuned to this and do the work to help students change their stories themselves hmm. and encourage them to uh, adopt a growth mindset or or to take steps to make them feel they belong more if, if they feel that they don't. Uh, but the student you know, herself, um, 
know, I do think just reminding ourselves that, you know, we got here for a reason that, that you know, I, I don't mean to imply that, that just by changing our mindset, everyone is well suited for every subject. But, but I do think just having that sense that there are many ways to succeed and um, I need to find another path. Um, that I need to try something different if I failed the first time. This just reminding ourselves of that. You know, there are various writing exercises that I think can help um, as well, of, of journaling and uh, working through our feelings. But that spinning it the best way we can to start with is 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 the first step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So recognizing that uh, that, that that there is another that there is another path. Um, say I wanted to, to to maybe take you up on one of those those bits of advice and, and maybe try a, a sort of writing exercise or, or a journaling exercise. What, what what sort of things might I might I write about? Well, um, most of the research is um, people writing about a specific negative event that they can't seem to get over. So something traumatic has happened to us. As time goes by, we can't seem to get it out of our heads. You know, it could be uh, uh, a romantic breakup. It, it could be an academic uh, setback. You know, the research, this is writing exercises pioneered by a psychologist named James Pennebaker of just taking out a piece of paper and writing our rawest feelings and thoughts about it, um, typically for maybe 15 minutes a night, two or three nights in a row. Interestingly, it's, it's best not to do this right after something bad has happened to us. It's, it's, it's too hard to sort of sort through our feelings right afterwards. But if you've had a couple of weeks go by and, and something is still troubling you, then this exercise, and what it seems to do is it, it, it gets us to reframe it in a better way, to sort of attach some meaning to this event in a way that enables us to move on and, and leave it behind Mm-hmm. When when we do these sorts of things, when we put these these sorts of techniques into into practice, what does the research tell us about the kind of impact it might have on on academic performance? Well, um, you know, one of the very first studies I did after I got out of graduate school, uh, embarrassingly long ago, uh, <laughs> was a study that tried to do this and with uh, first year college students who were not doing well and were anxious about it. We did a simple little intervention study where we, we brought them in and um, we never told them we were trying to help them academically. They thought they were just taking part in a survey. And we gave them some statistics indicating that many people stumble at first but get better. And we showed them some testimonials from older students on video um, saying, yeah, you know, my first year I... I did terribly, but I learned how to study better, and now I'm doing just fine. Mm. And that brief little message, I, I think what happened is that these kids were kind of a narrative fork in the road, where um, without this intervention, they were in danger of going down that negative path of assuming they couldn't make it in college and all the baggage that comes with that. But this little intervention nudged them onto a different path where they could say, yeah, you know, maybe I should at least try a different strategy. And compared to a randomly assigned control group, this intervention group did better. They, they got better grades in college. They were more apt to stay in college. Again, this isn't magical. It's not like we turn C students into A students. Um, but they did raise their grades significantly more than the other group. And since then, there's been 
really in the last, I'd say, 10 or 15 years, an explosion of this sort of research in social psychology showing that brief interventions can have really impressive long-term effects by um, getting people to sort of build on it themselves, suggesting a new interpretation that they adopt and try out. And once they do, they get positive feedback about it. And so it kind of reinforces itself over time with pretty impressive long-term benefits. Absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons I, I, I like this area of psychology particularly is because you can get quite powerful results, quite powerful uh, impacts based on you know relatively straightforward and cheap and easy uh, interventions and, and changes. It's it's nothing hugely expensive or complicated or elaborate. Can I give one more example? That, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's an increasing amount of research on students' feelings of belonging in uh, particularly at transitions in schools. So when going from high school to college and entering a new environment or from going from middle school to, to uh, high school, um, these transition points, um, people are at risk for feeling um, that they don't belong in this new environment. And at least in the United States, that's particularly true of um, students who uh, historically have been told they don't belong. So minority students who are in a school, say, that is majority um, white, and um, they may experience racism and, and the feeling that um, this is not an environment that was made for me. And uh, some social psychologists, and we've been doing some recent work on this in high schools, again, show that a brief intervention at the beginning of this transition, the beginning of high school, say, can head off at the pass those damaging kinds of beliefs. So telling students that, you know, um, uh, lots of students feel they don't belong when they when they start school. Um, lots of students feel that it's hard to make friends. Uh, we did, we've been doing a recent version of this at a local high school. Part of this is showing kids a videotape of again of older students talking about their transition to high school and things that would come up are you know I would walk into the lunchroom and I'd have nowhere to sit and I felt terrible that I I didn't have friends I could eat lunch with. But after a week or two, I made friends and um, things got better quickly. And again, that little message helped particularly the minority kids to adapt better and to get better grades. Now, again, I want to emphasize that we're not denying that there are lots of objective problems to solve. As is becoming increasingly apparent in the United States, you know, racism is still a, a deep, deep problem. And there are lots of structural changes that, that we need to make. But even within the problems we have, you can help people by um, helping them avoid two, two stories that are too self-damaging. There's a study that, in my, that, that was coming to mind while you, you were talking where, you know, even just the act of writing your, your ethnicity on the front of the exam paper would affect students' performance on that that exam paper if you were from a certain minority groups where the stereotype is associated with lower academic performance. Yes, this is classic work by Claude Steele on what he calls stereotype threat, that you know there are groups that um, when they're doing a difficult task, they have two things to worry about. One, their own individual performance, but the other that they might confirm a stereotype about their group. And that's true not just of um, black students. Um, 
It's been shown with older people taking memory tests that, that you're worried about uh, confirming a stereotype that old people lose their memory. And you know, anywhere our identity is a threat can just make it harder to perform. Yeah, yeah. I remember coming across this when I was a student, and we had one we had one lecture uh, where part of our assessed grade was based on our in class contributions. So what we what we spoke up and said in in lectures themselves. And we all had to provide these little name name cards to, to put in front of us uh, so the lecturer could see, attach our names to, to who was making the points. And I, I'd kind of come across this study and I thought, hmm, I wonder what I could do to both reinforce my own label of myself as being a high-performing student and maybe <laughs> subtly <laughs> influence my lecturer. So I put, um, I put a one in front of my name. So I was one William Wadsworth and, you know, one standing for a sort of a first-class degree, which is the uh, top degree class in, in UK universities. I mean, it worked. <laughs> I got the degree I was hoping for, uh, but I don't know how much of it was down to that. Interesting. I, I don't know if there are any more sort of practical um, suggestions for, for using, I guess, kind of positive labels. Well, let me talk a little bit about uh, growth mindsets, which I bet many of your listeners are familiar with, worked by um, Carol Dweck. It's been very influential in uh, showing that we... Um, it's very important that we feel we succeed through effort and other strategies and, and not just because we have a certain amount of intelligence in our tank. Mm. And, um, there's some very recent research suggests that some people misinterpret that message a little bit, that when they think that a growth mindset means we just have to try harder. And, you know, that's part of it. Part of it is the idea that if we're not succeeding at, in a particular academic course, we should just study more. But um, it turns out that um, there's another critical ingredient to that, which is, is seeking help and trying different strategies. That, mm. um, you know, any athlete knows that, that it's not just a matter of practicing, that getting good coaching um, can help and, and finding a different way to, uh, to succeed. And that's true in academics, too, that that um, if you're studying a new subject and you're not doing well, it's, it's, it's not just a matter of uh, going back to your room and trying harder, getting a tutor. And then it's kind of the, some, some people, some students in my experience, they, they, they're reluctant to seek this kind of help because I think it's a sign that they're not smart um, if they have to get a tutor or, or study with a classmate. And again, I like the sports analogy that even the most elite athletes in the world, the best tennis players have coaches because they, you know, there's another person can impart wisdom as to how to do better. And we should do that in academics as well. Pardon the brief interruption here, guys, but this was too good an opportunity not to miss. I just had to dive in at this point to mention that if you're looking for someone to help you find smarter ways of studying, just as Tim's just been describing, that is literally what I do. And I'm pretty good at it, uh, if my uh, track record and testimonials are anything to go by. I do talks for schools and universities on this exact subject, but I'm also available for hire as a one-on-one study success coach. And thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I can work with students from anywhere in the world. Most of my clients are from North America, the UK or Australia, but I've also supported students in Japan, Ireland, the Bahamas and more. I specialise in rapidly helping students like you find the exact strategies that will allow you to make faster progress in your studies, so that that means you can score higher without having to put in any crazy long hours at your study desk. 
Clients that work with me typically move up at least a whole grade boundary, sometimes after only a very short series of coaching sessions with me, and typically find they don't have to work as hard and or are less stressed and happier along the process. So as Tim says, don't be shy about seeking help. Being smart about seeking help is a sign of strength, not weakness, just like any professional athlete will tell you. Many of the students I support are high achievers, but tired of all the stress and the workload and thinking that surely there's got to be an easier way. Well, there almost always is an easier way, and I can be your guide to show you where to find that easier path. So take the first step today by heading over to examstudyexpert.com forward slash coaching, where you can also read testimonials and success stories from students just like you who I've helped over the years. You'll also find that link down in the show notes, examstudyexpert.com forward slash coaching. I look forward to hearing you and hopefully to supporting you on your journey to an easier path to academic success. Okay, let's get back to the interview in three, two, one. A lot of the work I do with with sort of students and going into schools is about, in particular, some of the lessons that are coming out of cognitive psychology about effective ways to to learn and memorize information, like space learning, retrieval practice, and kind of help students use these these tools in practice. Because we've known about these techniques for a good long while now, but they're still only just starting to make their way into into practical use. And that's a great example. You know, it's the kind of thing a student might not think of on their own. And um, just learning about that different strategy can make a huge difference. Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't couldn't agree more. <laughs> and I see that in the, the students I work with every day. Um, excellent. So, look, Tim, we've had a fantastic conversation so far. I'm just wondering if there's anything else uh, you particularly like to bring up that might be of use to students uh, as they approach their their studies and getting them in the right mindset to succeed. Sure. Uh, well, I can think of one more that's uh, been shown in some recent research, and and it'll sound a little obvious, but I think it's one that we sometimes overlook. And that's just reminding ourselves of the practical importance of what we're studying and what it means to us. So these are studies that were done in high school science classes in the United States. And they had students do a little writing exercises where just um, think about how what you're learning might be useful to you in a future career or uh, to some hobby that you're interested in, um, how it might make you better at video games, you know, whatever. And, and just connecting the academic topics to personally important outcome led to better grades. People, you know, they could sort of make sense more why they were, it was important for them to study. And, you know, that's something that sounds obvious when you say it, but I think it's something that students sometimes forget to do that, hey, you know, this abstract material could actually be of practical use to me. Mm, absolutely. Giving them the right kind of motivation to, to work towards the, uh, towards the, towards the subject. Well, look, Tim, thank, thank you ever so much. Uh, this has been, uh, it's been a great conversation and uh, really grateful for you, for you giving up the time. Um, I, I always uh, wrap up by asking uh, if, if you had the luxury of being able to, <laughs> to go back in time and, and bump into your, your 16-year-old self in the schoolyard uh, and, and give him uh, a bit of advice related to mindset or otherwise, um, what would be the first thing you'd, you'd want to say to him? Well, gosh, um, <laughs> I think I think I would fall back on some a lot of research I've done with my friend Daniel Gilbert on what we call affective forecasting. And this research 
uh, looks at the kinds of forecasts or predictions we make about our own future emotional reactions, how we'll feel if something really good happens to us and how we'll feel if something rather bad happens to us. What we found uh, repeatedly is that people overestimate the impact of these events on our emotions. Let me say this a little differently, that uh, we all tend to dread terrible things happening to us, partly because we think we'll never get over them. And indeed, terrible things do make us feel terrible. But it turns out people are more resilient than we tend to think, and we recover from emotionally from these events uh, more quickly than we anticipate. So I think I would tell that to my 16-year-old self. You know, let me preface this by saying I was a rather anxious kid, a worrier, and you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? And I think I say, just chill a little bit, you know? Um, so, you know, you tried uh, taking this course and what if you did fail? Okay, we, you, you'd figure it out. You'd get over it. It wouldn't be as terrible as you'd think. So take risks more. You know, don't, don't be so risk averse where you're worried about bad things happening because number one, something really good might happen. And number two, if it doesn't work out, you'll get over it. <laughs> I think that's very solid advice. Tim, thank you ever so much. I'm sure there'll be plenty of listeners keen to, to find out a bit more about you and your, your work and the, the sorts of topics we've been, we've been talking about. Um, and anywhere they could go, you'd, you'd point them towards for more. Well, there's lots of great books in social psychology these days. You know, I, I will put a plug in for my own called Redirect that talks a lot about these kinds of issues and education and other kinds of problems. And I highly support that plug. It's it's long been one of my favourites. <laughs> so, uh, no, hi- highly recommended. Listen, Tim, thank you once again. Re- really appreciate it. Thank you ever so much. Great talking with you, William. Thank you. Phew. Well, we covered quite a lot of ground today in a pretty short space of time. So I just want to take a few minutes to recap my top three takeaways, uh, practical takeaways for you uh, from this chat with Tim. The first is that you have control over how you choose to interpret events. Say you failed a test, uh, as in my story back at the start, you've got a choice. Do you choose to see that as evidence that you've reached the limits of your ability in that subject and that you're destined to fail from now on no matter what you do? Or alternatively, do you take it as a signal that you need to change something in order to improve in future, perhaps working a bit harder or possibly working smarter using more effective study techniques that let you make faster progress in less time? In Tim's book, there's a story about basketball legend Michael Jordan that makes this point beautifully. If you've heard of Michael Jordan, you may know him as the greatest basketball player of all time, and that's according to his official biography on the NBA website. What might surprise you, though, is that he was cut from his high school basketball team the first time he tried out. Rather than giving up, though, he redoubled his efforts, leaving home at 6am every morning to practice for an hour before school started. It may be no surprise that it wasn't too long before he made the team. For him, the rejection was not a signal that he was never going to be good enough, simply that he wasn't good enough yet. And he then took massive action to make darn sure that he was going to be good enough next time round. So be very careful about the lessons you draw from events, and in particular, how you interpret negative events or setbacks. 
My second takeaway is about moving past something especially bad if it does happen to you. A really major life disappointment or upset, either in your academic progress or in your personal life. As Tim explained, you might need to wait a couple of weeks to let some of the initial shock pass if it was a particularly traumatic experience, after which what you do is you write about the event for maybe 15 minutes each night, three nights in a row. Write about what happened. Write about how it made you feel at the time. Write about how it's made you feel since. And perhaps uh, write about how you're finding yourself changing your beliefs about who you are as a person or what you're capable of as a result of that event. And be especially vigilant for those last set of thoughts. In other words, be really, really watchful for your beliefs changing for the worse as a result of that setback and having a negative impact on your mindset and hence your ability to perform at a high level in future. To join this back up with my first takeaway, you have a choice on your interpretation of that event. Our advice would be not to see it as evidence that you suck at something, but rather as a signal that you might need to do something differently in future. And when it comes to doing things differently and better in your academic life, I'm here to help you if you could use a little hand on identifying what you need to do to improve in your studies and would appreciate some support while you're making those changes and getting them to stick. Head right on over to examstudyexpert.com forward slash coaching to find out how to work with me one-on-one to make the changes you want to supercharge your studies this year. Again, that's examstudyexpert.com forward slash coaching. My third and final takeaway is that a really powerful way to change a negative story is looking for examples of people who've made the exact change you want to make in your life. I'm actually putting together a series of stories of transformation for the podcast, featuring interviews with real students who were struggling in some way with their studies and managed to turn things around and dramatically improved their outcomes, their results as a result. They might have turned things around by working harder. It might have been by sorting out their mindset, their beliefs, and their stories they tell themselves, as we've been talking about today. Or it might have been about switching to smarter ways of studying so they could make faster progress in less time. Often it's a combination of all of those. And when you hear a story that starts with someone struggling in a very similar way to you, and when you hear about the changes they made, and when you hear about the results they got, it can inspire you that you too could make that change and get those results for yourself. So look out for those stories coming your way uh, on the podcast. If you think you might be able to contribute that to that, and you think you might have such a story uh, that you might be able to share with listeners here, in other words, you've struggled, you changed something, and you improved, then I'd really love to hear from you. Uh, do drop me an email at william at examstudyexpert.com uh, with a couple of details about the story. And if it sounds like a good fit, let's fix a time to do a short interview. And I'd be glad to include a little bit of complimentary study coaching uh, for you to say thank you for your, for your generosity. Again, just drop me an email at william at examstudyexpert.com if you think your story of study success transformation might fit the bill. So that concludes my top three takeaways from this chat with Tim. Uh, Be conscious about how you're interpreting events, journal to get over disappointments and upsets, and look out for examples of students who've already made the changes you make. And again, if you want any help uh, making those changes or deciding what the right changes to make are, 
get in touch at examstudyexpert.com forward slash coaching. So there's much more great stuff in Tim's book, Redirect, which I'm a huge fan of, as you've probably gathered by now. Uh, Again, you can check out the show notes for a link uh, where you can get your own copy of the book if you're interested. Now, all this talk about mindset today with Tim leads us very nicely into talking about getting motivated, uh, which is great because my guest next time is Dr. Erica Patel, who is an expert on motivation for students, including finding your why, finding the reason why things matter, which is one of the uh, last points Tim brought up in our chat just now. Dr. Erica is something of a rock star in the world of research on motivation and is in super hot demand uh, for education and learning conferences around the world, uh, thanks to her brilliant studies and research on getting students motivated and her highly energetic and inspirational communication style. I think you're really going to enjoy meeting her. uh, So I hope to see you next time for that. In the meantime, stay safe, study smart. uh, And if you're enjoying the show, please do consider leaving us a rating and review in your podcast app and sharing this episode with your friends on your social media channel of choice. Thanks again for listening today and look forward to seeing you next time. If you've got exams coming up, You can now get all of William's favourite tips and tricks to save you time and get you higher grades all in one handy cheat sheet. Grab your copy at examstudyexpert.com slash free tips. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.